is November 7, 2023. Time for episode 241 of the Sports Biking Podcast. This is your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. The Tuesday edition is on deck. Let's start with the NFL. Week 9 winners from Sunday. The Chiefs over the Dolphins in Frankfurt. The Ravens, 37-3 over Seattle. The Browns, 27-0 over Arizona. Commanders, Saints, Packers, Texans, Vikings, Colts, Raiders, 30-6 over the Giants. Eagles, 28-23 over Dallas and the Bengals. So the Giants, I think what, I don't recall top of their head their record, but we can honestly say, or you know, we can kind of follow this along, that they are the worst team in the NFC East. Um, Daniel Jones has an ACL injury, so he's done. Um, kind of got a feeling, and this is probably true or kind of uh, well-known across the board here, that I, at least my personal opinion, that that coach, they got to go. Because again, when they hire them, I'm going, who is this guy? And I guess it's probably fair to say that it hasn't really been that great since the beginning of this tenure. Um, for Monday Night Football, the Chargers over the Jets, 27-6. to um, The Chargers defense came up with eight sacks, three recovered fumbles, and the special teams had a punt return for a touchdown. So basically two rush touchdowns and a defensive touchdown in addition to all of that. So not a lot of offense in this game, mostly defense and special teams. Both teams are now 4-4. Four and four. The Chargers are home versus the Lions on Sunday, 4 or 5 on CBS. The Jets go to Las Vegas to take on the Raiders, 820 on NBC. Um, let's move over to the NBA. So Harden, James Harden scores 17 in his Clippers debut last night in a loss to the Knicks, 111-97. to So for the Clippers, four out of five starters were in double figures. Julius Randle led the Knicks with 27 points, 10 rebounds. The Clippers are now three and three. The Knicks are now three and four. Um, and then I kind of was thinking back to this whole uh, thing. A couple nights ago, I caught the second half of Milwaukee and the Knicks. And this whole in-season tournament thing, maybe it's just me. I'm not a fan. I mean, listen, first of all, let's start with this whole court thing. So you got to do the crazy colors with the court and the uniforms. I don't like any of that. The court, Some of these courts look crazy. It's kind of like... I have to adjust my television color because I'm just looking at this and it's just like, bow. Um, some of the uniforms are okay. I think um, Milwaukee's was nice. Um, Denver's was weird because, again, you know, they they go off that, that 5280, you know, a mile above sea level. And they're just wearing jerseys with 5280 on the front, which I'm going, mm, very strange, not crazy about it. But in general, having a whole tournament in season so all the games with the exception of the championship game will count towards the regular season so we're basically still having a regular season but we're kind of confining it to you know uh, certain teams will play divisional teams and they'll play NBA tournament stuff uh, all this to go down to the semifinals and finals which would be in Vegas for the NBA Cup um, why are they doing this? It's almost as if the NBA is kind of admitting their product is getting a little stale. And I don't really know how to solve the problem, to be honest with you. I mean, if your product's stale, then maybe it's the way you're marketing the product, or maybe it's a bigger problem that the brand of basketball that's being played is not very good. I mean, honestly, and I kind of talked about this uh, in my last Wednesday conversation, you know, we're seeing an NBA that's changed a lot in so many ways. But, you know, what do you notice when you watch a game, there's a lot of dribbling. There's not a lot of passing. There's not a lot of offensive movement. I mean, there is, but it really isn't basketball in a very pure form. So 
you know, the college game's different, obviously, the pro game's different, but at the same time, too, I kind of feel like if you're doing this sort of thing where you are, you know, trying to, you know, let's do an in-season tournament, something similar to like uh, what um, I'm trying to think, uh, the Champions League. So if you think about uh, European soccer, so they have what, La Liga, Bundesliga, uh, the uh, Premier League, all those different uh, different leagues, they play each other, you know, in their leagues and then they play uh, each other outside their leagues for the Champions Cup. So it's kind of like that, but it's just who's the best tournament team regular season, which doesn't really mean anything to me at the end of the day. Now, if you think about it also to the WNBA does this, but they do it for a particular reason. Number one, there's not a lot of games. Number two, it provides more money for the players. So the best two teams from the East and West, the winner of that um, commissioner's cup gets more money. So I don't know. I, I don't, I don't like this idea. I think it's stale. I think it's dry. They got to figure out something else, but I mean, the matchups will be interesting. I mean, that's the only thing that you can get out of this, that you're going to get good matchups, but to have an in-season tournament, I think is kind of ridiculous, but whatever, who, you know, again, uh, another one of my, uh, uh, I had a whole show about this where I was giving some crazy off the wall opinions, but here's yet another one, but that's just me. You tell me what you think. Major League Baseball, we got some news and notes on managerial updates. We'll get to those in a second. So just to kind of recap, we talked uh, the show on Friday that the Rangers won the World Series in five. So congratulations to them again. But what a turnaround. You look at a team that last season lost 102 games. And then as soon as their season was over, they went into a rebuild. And this is a very rapid rebuild because you think about most teams in most professional sports that we've seen examples of rapid rebuilds, but it doesn't really happen that often. But this was just such an amazing rebuild. And think about who they brought in. So they got Corey Seager, who was a big acquisition. I mean, he was not going to cover off the ball. You bring in Jacob DeGrom, you get Max Scherzer, who's now Max Scherzer is a two-time champ. DeGrom comes over. I think they both came over. No, DeGrom came over from the Mets. I think Scherzer came over from the Mets, or Los Angeles. He came over from the Dodgers. DeGrom came from the Mets. Um, and to win the World Series, they now take their name off the list of, was it one of six um, major league teams that have never won the World Series, so make that five now. Um, so, again, bringing in the talent and building it in such a deliberate way is you know kind of the way to go. And it's funny because every team does this, but it feels like some teams go for those home run acquisitions. They get three or four home run guys and say, oh, we're we're building this team. And, you know, we, we all marvel at it like, oh, they got these great players, you know, somebody who can hit the ball or a great pitcher. And it doesn't work out for whatever reason. But we all know baseball is just, you know, it, it's about playing the game. And sometimes, you know, it does work out, but then injuries happen. So a lot of teams are dealing and have to deal with injuries. So it's a lot of factors that play into this. But I mean, the Rangers just really did everything they need to do. And even during the regular season, I feel like when they played uh, Houston, I think Houston had their number most of the regular season. But when you got to the playoffs, I'm thinking I felt good about them getting past Houston. And they did. So once they got past Houston, I'm thinking the Rangers really got a good shot at this. But again, you know, who expected the Rangers and who expected the Arizona Diamondbacks? So, again, shows you that 
randomness that MLB, especially the playoffs, it shows you that randomness that the MLB playoffs brings us. Um, also, check this out. Will Smith, who was one of the relievers on the team, he has now won three straight World Series titles. So he was it with Atlanta, Houston last season, now with Texas. How lucky are you? Like you just won three straight World Series. I mean, this man's got three rings in three straight years. I mean, most players who get three rings, they either have to stay with one team and maybe they build a dynasty and you get one here and a couple spread out over a few years. I mean, he just managed to hop to the right teams or got acquired or whatever the situation was. And he's got three straight World Series titles. That is absolutely insane. But, you know, congratulations to him. That's I think I don't think that's ever been done. That is uh, pretty remarkable for one player. And then, of course, Bruce Bochy. So there's been so many articles and so much talk about how Bruce Bochy was like the right man for the job. Think about this. In 14 seasons as a manager, he has four World Series titles. So we got one Texas and three in San Francisco. So Bochy knows baseball. He knows how to coach it. He knows how to bring a team together. And think about the history as well. So more history here. Joe Torre is the last manager with this level of success. So he got four titles from 96 to 2000 with the Yankees. So again, this is, you know, feeling like the start of something special in Arlington, but you know, you can't rest on, okay, we won it. You got to go out and continue to do the things to kind of keep that success going. So you hope that these guys can, you know, labor through, you know, the fans are hoping that they can labor through another 162 games come out on top and play really good baseball. So repeating is not easy. That's the one thing about this that, uh, goodness, I mean, she's, I, I didn't even do the research on this, but who's the last team to repeat? It's, it's not even coming to me, but repeating in baseball used to sort of be a thing. Now with the changes in the playoffs, the expansions in the playoffs, repeating is kind of hard. I think it's hard even before then, but it's really hard now. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, what Texas does to kind of, you know, kind of keep it. I'm, I'm sure they're going to keep everything in place, but I'm interested to see, you know, what changes they make. Do they add to the roster? What things they do to kind of ensure that they can, you know, keep this core together. Obviously, Bruce Bochy isn't going anywhere and they can try to repeat and kind of get another World Series under their belt. Um, from managerial news. So a few changes that have happened. So a couple of these are recent. Um, Bob Melvin, he leaves San Diego to go to San Francisco. And it was weird because the the news that came out yesterday, I'm going, huh, that's weird that you get one manager from one division rival to go to, from one team, and one division to go to their rival. And I remember Bob Melvin did this. So he's leaving, you know, San Diego to take over a rival in the NL West, Craig Council. So we talked about Craig Council a few weeks ago and we said, you know, his um, his uh, contract was up on Halloween. So the thought was that he was potentially going to take some time away from baseball. He's a Wisconsin guy. So him being in Milwaukee, people really just felt good about him being the Milwaukee manager. But instead, he took the Chicago job. So Chicago fired David Ross, which I'm sure that had to be difficult. I mean, Ross was a key piece in Chicago's last World Series, so that hundred and some odd year drought that Chicago had, David Ross was a big part of that. Then after he retired, he became the manager, and you know Chicago was in this thing. I was really looking forward to seeing the Cubs 
do some stuff this year and they just fumbled it at the end. And, and I mean, they didn't have a they had a decent record. They just couldn't finish the deal to at least get into the playoffs. So they let David Ross go. They hired Craig Council and Craig Council gets a five year, 40 million dollar contract. And that is unheard of. But one thing about Craig Council, he's been on a lot of, I think, uh, the players committee and for for years and years. And he was also working with Major League Baseball and kind of having these talks to raise manager salaries. I think before this salary, I think Terry Francona's salary was like four and a half million a year. I forget what the, the terms like the year terms were, but that was like the standard. Now he's getting what a eight, eight million a year. So he's essentially doubled what one of the top managers was getting. Um, but council really did some great work in Milwaukee, but here's the difference. Milwaukee is looking at the situation where a number of their really, you know, uh, uh, notable players, players who really helped to build that team are potentially going to be free agents. They're not sure what their status is going to be. He walks into a situation in Chicago. Chicago has like the best farm system in baseball. So he has the ability to kind of nurture, continue to build this roster and get them to a point to where they can play some good, consistent baseball, make the playoffs and make a push towards another World Series. So, um, you know, you get one of the best managers of baseball and you know one of the best because again you know Bruce Bochy you know number one but Council is definitely uh, in that top five group of really good managers and he now kind of gets you know the full run of things you know you've got this great farm system you've got this team that needs to have the roster reshuffled and you know hey the sky's the limit for the Chicago team now are they gonna come out like gangbusters next season who knows I mean here's a team that was. For all intents and purposes, in my in my view, they were up and down most of the season. And then they, you know, poured it on at the end, just didn't have enough in the tank to at least finish the deal to get into the playoffs. So now they start over and how they're gonna look uh come, gosh, was it this is November. So these guys are gonna be back at it in a few months. So what, uh, December, January, so about three months from now, these guys are gonna be starting getting ready for spring training. So he's got about three months. You know, because, of course, there's the winter meetings, it's hot stove time, blah, 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 blah. So we're going to see a lot of things happening with, um, you know, uh, rosters and and trades and, you know, free agency. All that stuff's going to be happening very soon. But for the most part, I mean, there, there's definitely it's looking it's feeling good in Chicago. So at least, you know, for the Cubs. So now the question is. What's the next leap here? Does Chicago kind of make another incremental step in trying to get back into the conversation in baseball? Um, lastly, the Mets hired New York Yankees bench coach Carlos Mendoza to replace Buck Showalter. So again, another situation. The Mets made a lot of big moves last season. Didn't work out for them. They've got a pretty heavy roster with some really good players. But of course, you know, the the money is the issue, you know, I think they have a pretty high uh, contract, uh, you know, uh, they have a pretty high um, amount of money in their contracts um, for that team. And actually, to kind of go back to um, Craig Council for a second, Minnesota, uh, I'm sorry, Milwaukee, um, they had one of the lowest uh, payrolls in baseball. And look at what they did. So now the Mets conversely had a pretty high payroll. 
and end up shuttling off some guys uh, around the trade deadline to try to make things look respectable, still didn't make the playoffs winning close. And now they have to kind of reshuffle the deck. They have a new president of baseball operations. So now, again, new manager, new guy running the show. Are the Mets able to make the decisions necessary to kind of, again, for them to get back in the conversation, for them to be a player in the NL East? But again, look at what they got. They got to deal with Atlanta. They got to deal with the Phillies who came on late and were making a big push because the Phillies had kind of been, you know, up and down early part of the season. About towards the middle of the season, towards the end, they really came out, came on. And then, of course, made that playoff push. Just couldn't get past Arizona. But, I mean, a lot of work to be done for these teams uh, in the NL East. Let's go over to the WNBA. So the draft lottery is scheduled for December 10th, 430 ESPN. So I think there's a, a women's college basketball triple header that day. So I think between games two and three, they'll have the draft lottery. The draft is scheduled for April 15th. So the four teams, Indiana, Los Angeles, Phoenix, and Seattle are the four teams that will be vying for the top pick. The Fever, so over two seasons. So what they did was they looked at the composite record of each team over the last two seasons. The Fever are 18 and 58 in that time span. Because of that composite, uh, the composite win-loss uh, record, the Fever have the best chance to land the top pick. So potentially they could get the top pick two years in a row. So, uh, you know, it's all odds. They put in what the balls, they come up with the code, and then whoever has the code gets the first pick. So right now, not going to go through mock draft stuff right now. Right now, it's it's a little early. College basketball has just started. We'll talk a little college basketball in a moment. But right now, Caitlin Clark is number one. But again, um, number one, number two, number three, all that's going to change as the college season goes along because we're going to see player stock rise and fall. There's going to be somebody, it happens every year, there's going to be somebody out there playing that their name's just going to pop up in the draft board because they're going to have a big season. Um, they're going to come on for their team. So someone's going to kind of tip the apple cart, if you will. But um, however this goes, fever, Phoenix, Los Angeles, Seattle be the first four picks in some particular order. Then from there, Dallas fifth, Washington sixth, Minnesota seventh, Atlanta eighth, Dallas picks again at ninth, Connecticut 10th, the Liberty at 11th, and LA at 12th. So as you noted here, Los Angeles and Dallas both get two picks in the first round. So ought to be interesting to see how the mock draft kind of plays out as the college basketball season goes on. So we'll kind of re we'll kind of circle back to mock draft stuff a little bit later. Let's move over to NASCAR. So this past Sunday was the last race of the season, the championship race. Ross Chastain wins the Phoenix race. So this is the first time in 10 years a playoff driver or a championship four driver rather fails to win the finale. Ryan Blaney. So so really, I didn't know this, but when the broadcast came on, they said this is real easy. There's no math. Whoever finishes the highest of the four championship drivers wins this thing. Ryan Blaney came in second in the race because of that. He wins the NASCAR championship. So for Team Penske, this is two straight titles. So Joey Logano wins the title last year. Ryan Blaney, the other Penske driver, wins for Roger Penske and his gang. So on lap 292, Blaney passed 2021 champ Kyle Larson. And I told you, 
I didn't make a pick on who's going to win this thing, but Kyle Larson, I've said this before, that man, no matter where he is on, on the racetrack, he can find his way to the front. And Larson would have been, you know, sneaking around this race all, all day. And once he passed them, he had 31 laps. He held on for 31 laps to capture his first title. So Blaney, Blaney second, uh, William Byron third, Larson fourth. The other uh, championship four participant, Christopher Bell, he had brake issues on lap 108 and he did not finish. I think he blew out a brake rotor. And when he was interviewed uh, after he got out of the infield care center, he goes, I've had a lot of things happen to me in racing. I've been doing this a while. I have never blown a brake, uh, a brake rotor. So um, first time for everything. But for Bell, that's two straight years that there's been disappointment uh, in the championship four race. So one last thing for Kevin Harvick. This is his final race. He finished seventh. So he's the 2014 champion and, um, you know, kind of went off into the sunset. He was interviewed afterwards and just was thinking, just thanking so many people. Um, you know, he said, you know, I have this appearance of being this really stern, tough guy. I'm very much a people person. I love the people around me. I love the sport. And he goes, you know, just he he had his hands in everything from, you know, the work at the car, sitting in sponsorship and marketing meetings. I mean, he goes, he loves people. And he said that, um, you know, he's happy about, you know, everything that's happened and and he's ready to move on. So he'll be in the commentary booth for Fox next season as they start the new NASCAR season and 2024 at Daytona. When we come back. We'll talk college basketball. We're back and we'll get into the college football discussion. And of course, we'll have news and notes from college football. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome back. So college basketball is back. 
Yeah, man. So yesterday we had a pretty full slate of games, uh, a lot of action from the top 25 on the ladies' side. The men's side, not so much, but as we know, that will ramp up relatively soon. I think next week is the Champions Classic. Um, oh, yeah, I got to talk about that, which I don't have to score on me, but I'll get to that in a second. But let's look at the ladies. So couple marquee games yesterday uh, in the uh, on the ladies' side, and there was an upset. So in Paris, the Aflac We Play game, South Carolina, sixth rank over 10th rank Notre Dame, 100-71. So this game, I felt early on, the first quarter was really even. Second quarter, South Carolina put the brakes, put put the put the gas on, and started to pull away. So by halftime, this game was getting way out of control. Uh, Camila Cardozo, she goes for a double double, twenty points and fifteen rebounds. So um, Dawn Staley told Camila Cardozo that you know this is the year she really has to pour it on, that she has to kind of take control as the dominant figure in the middle. So, I mean, you get, you know, Aaliyah Boston goes on to the WNBA. You know, Camila Cardozo could have left South Carolina and gone to greener pastures to get more playing time. She waited her turn. It's her time. And what a great way to start off the season. Um, Now, the other thing about this game, there were some fantastic freshmen in this game on both Notre Dame and South Carolina. So, first, let's start with Malaysia Fulwiley. 17 points, 8 of 14 field goals in 26 minutes. Dawn Staley said that she is a generational talent and she, I mean, of course it's Dawn Staley. If Dawn Staley tells you she's a generational talent, you know, it's true. And man, let me tell you, she did not disappoint, man. She was hitting some moves, making shots. I'm telling you as a freshman, this is her first game and she comes out and scores 17 points in 26 minutes by, by March. She is going to be amazing. She's good now, but she's going to be amazing come March. I mean, scary good. On the other side, Hannah Hidalgo. Now, I've been hearing the names, and I knew she was a McDonald's All-American. And Neil Ivey basically said she's a dog. she got the dog in her. And no lies told. Again, if your coach, your coach knows you. And Hidalgo went for 31. She had, I think, 11 points in the, in the first quarter. And she was hitting threes like she was a pro. Going to the basket, no fear, getting uh, and ones. <sighs> Could you imagine? I think they talked about this in the broadcast. They said um, Olivia Miles is still, you know, nursing her knee. She should be back soon. But someone goes, I think um, Ryan Rucco may have led uh, Rebecca Lobo into this question. He said, "Could you imagine a backcourt, a three guard lineup? Hannah Hidalgo, Sonia Citron, and Olivia Miles." I shivered. I'm going, ain't no way. Oh, my God. That is scary. Scary to think about. Those three together because you get this nice combination. Miles is that distributor. She can shoot. Citron is so versatile. And Hidalgo just comes at you. She runs at you downhill. And you put, you know, the other pieces that Notre Dame has. They are going to be real nasty with those three. But I don't know how the lineup's going to go. But, I mean, she is the ball handler for now. And Citron took over as ball handler when Miles went down, and she said she appreciates being back in her position at that two guard, but she gives you a lot of versatility. She can shoot just about anywhere on the court, but man, that was that was quite a shootout uh, between those two freshmen, and I, I'm looking forward to w- watching them play more this season. 
Um, from the Hall of Fame series in Las Vegas, number 20 in USC over number seven, Ohio State, 83-74. Another phenomenal freshman, Juju Watkins. She goes for 32 points in 31 minutes, 11 for 18 from the field. I tell you, these freshmen are showing out. These, I mean, and we know that when she committed to USC, everyone went nuts. I mean, she has just been a celebrity since she got on campus and so far so good she has not disappointed 32 points in her debut in 31 minutes i mean what a game for her for ohio state jc sheldon goes for 28 now the big story from last night number 20 colorado takes down top ranked lsu so when i saw this matchup there was a piece of my brain going maybe colorado's got a shot and I watched a little bit of the game, and LSU just looked very disjointed on the offensive end. Like the, the movement was bad. They, it just it just did not look like all the pieces just fit. It was very clunky. So now, I'm if you watch if you are on social media, which you know again some things on social media aren't worth your time. But of course, there's the chorus of people who are going, oh, yeah. So she goes out and gets all this talent. Kim Mulkey goes out and gets all this talent and they lose their first game and blah, 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 blah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's game one. Let us not overreact to one game. Number one, you've got a very good Colorado team, a Colorado team that has been building up, has been upping the ante every year. Remember, they were a sweet 16 team last year. Had a really good shot to go to the Elite Eight, just didn't work out. But J.R. Payne has really been building this team. I mean, they've been upward, onward, and upward. Been getting in some good transfers. They were about due. And I, I thought maybe it could happen, but I said, hey, you know, I'm not even going to bother with it. I'm going to see how it goes. But they gave them a game that was what, 92 78 was the final score. Frida Foreman, 27 for the Buffaloes. Freshman Michaela Williams goes for 17 for LSU. So it's one game back to the drawing board because everyone's going to make a big deal out of this. Oh, you got all this. I mean, all the idiots who are saying all that. Oh, you went out and got all these people again to beat Caitlin Clark. And people go, they beat Caitlin Clark. What are you talking about? Caitlin Clark has nothing to do with this. But people just love to say really, 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 really dumb things uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to, you know, basketball and trying to make some gigantic point that makes zero freaking sense uh, on the men's side for the most part everybody survived with the exception of number four Michigan State they fell at home to James Madison 79 to 76 shout out to Harrisonburg man what is in the water in at James Madison athletics I mean the football team's killing it right now they and I just saw a story they just petitioned the NCAA to allow them to play in a bowl game because I think with their changeover from um, something about the, I can't remember the whole story, but essentially because of they haven't been in division one, but so many years they have to wait a certain period of time before they're bowl eligible. So I think they're currently undefeated still um, they're ranked, but yo, it's like the women's team won. I forget who they played, but to go to East Lansing and take down the number four Michigan State Spartans, I mean, ooh, that that's something special right there. So everybody on the men's side survived except for uh, Michigan State, and they got to go to the Champions Classic next next week. I think they play Kansas next week, so that's gonna be uh, fun sledding uh, wherever they're gonna play. I don't think they're gonna be at, at the Garden. They might be at Barclays, but we'll. 
go through the slate for uh, the uh, Champions Classic and anything for the men's next week. Because over the weekend, not there are not going to be as many ranked games over the weekend. But as college football kind of you know kind of goes in the downside and heading towards the bowl season, we're going to see more basketball. And of course, my favorite part of this time of year, all the preseason tournaments all the thanksgiving tournaments i love the maui tournament all those tournaments always been my favorite I remember uh being in the kitchen uh cooking with my mom and we we're just got the tv on watching basketball and just kind of you know talking it out and doing all that cool stuff one, one, one of my favorite memories from the holidays all right let's move with the college football the week 11 ap top 10 so Positions one through nine all held. Started with number one, Georgia, with 49 first place votes. Number two, Michigan, with nine first place votes. We'll talk a little bit Michigan a little bit. Number three, Ohio State, with three first place votes. Number four, Florida State, with two first place votes. Number five, Washington. Six, Oregon. Seven, Texas. Eight, Alabama. Nine, Penn State. Moving into the top 10 this week is Ole Miss up one spot. Your movers this week up five spots, Utah to 13 and Tennessee to 14, down 10 spots, Notre Dame into the poll this week, Oklahoma State. They won Bedlam, ladies and gentlemen. We'll go through my picks from last week in a moment. They move in at 15, Arizona. Oh, my goodness. The Wildcats are back in the poll first time since 2017 at 23. And for Arizona, they also made a little bit more history. And for the first time in program history, they have a three-game win streak over ranked opponents. I mean, as I said, they're, they're trending up. They're, they're winning. They're playing good football and winning football at the right time. So, you know, this hire of, I think it was Jed Frisch, you know, it, it started out slow, but it's moving in the right direction for Arizona. UNC is in at 24, and Liberty is in at 25. So, if you remember um Jamie Chadwell so he left Coastal to take the Liberty job and it's paying off but as we talked about that move benefits a lot of people from the donor side because Liberty they've got big donors their athletic facilities are really good they're paying Jamie Shadwell. They, I mean, they backed the Brinks truck up to his door. So, I mean, they're getting the results they want. So Liberty is ranked uh, in the top 25. Out this week, Air Force. Whew, we'll talk about Air Force and Army in a moment. UCLA. Whew, yeah, another, <laughs> another thing I haven't researched yet, but you see where I'm going with this. USC. First time under Lincoln Riley, USC is out of the top 25. We'll talk about USC a little more in a moment. K-State is out. However, they were the top vote getter tied with Fresno State this week. So K-State, I don't think, fell very far, but they got a good chance to get back into the poll. So week 10, my pick, 17 games. I went 12 and 5. So it actually looked pretty good from noon to 3.30. Noon to 3.30, I, so I started off the day 1-0. Remember, I picked the Duke game. I picked Duke over Wake, and that game was way closer than I expected. But I went six and two noon to two thirty. I think I went six and three. Uh, wait, four and two at seven thirty, and I went two and one early part of the evening. So again, all told, twelve and five for the week. So for the season, I'm ninety one and fifty five. So I'm guaranteed at this point, if I don't screw this up too badly, I'm guaranteed to at least have picked a hundred games correctly. Um, starting this week, so we'll see how it goes. So for week eleven. 
I'm looking at about a, about 16 games between Friday and Saturday. So I got one Friday game. The rest of the slate will be on Saturday. So as we do, we'll get to that on Friday. We'll do all our pit. Well, I'm doing Thursday. game. Oh, I'm doing a Friday game rather. So duh. So Friday game. So we'll pick all that on Friday as we usually do. So let's look at some of the games from last week. Army, whew, they destroyed Air Force. They forced six turnovers, four fumbles, and two interceptions. Army was a 19-point underdog in this game. So if you felt froggy, had a little bit of money, if you had bet that Army as a 19-point underdog would be Air Force, I mean, you might have a little bit of cash. I mean, you ain't going to have no Mattress Mac money, but, you know, that guy has money to burn and money to waste. He should give me some of that damn money. But anyway, um, so Army has a chance to win the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. So here's how this works. Right now, it is Air Force is now one and one, but they hold the cup. So this that's important. Air Force is one and no, Navy's 0-1. Navy lost to Air Force. So if Army beats Navy, they win the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. If Navy beats Army, everybody's one and one and what happens air force retains the commander in chief's trophy so air force is going to be rooting for navy to beat army so uh, the army navy game is in foxborough this year so that's in about two that's about three weeks from now probably a month from about a month from now give or take because it's usually the saturday before the heisman is given out so we'll obviously we'll talk army navy as we get closer to uh that time the Damon Award this week goes to my alma mater, Old Dominion. So check this out. I called them to beat Coastal Carolina close. So they drove down the field and they had a pretty good sustained drive and they ended up kicking a field goal. So they stalled on the drive. And once they kicked the field goal, they left Coastal Carolina with about a minute, about a minute and a half, minute and 20 to go. So Coastal benefited from about two penalties Tossed the ball down the field. I mean, made some really nice passes in the center of the field. So essentially, ODU backed up, left this big, wide-open patch in the middle of the field, and they just drove down the field. So then they called a couple timeouts, and this game was on ESPN+. Plus. So whoever the announcers were, and, and, and I'm starting to realize that ESPN+, Plus, they have terrible announcers. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean... I think it's a toss up ESPN plus has terrible announcers and the ACC network, especially ACC network plus have terrible announcers. I'm sorry. That's just, that's just what it is. I mean, the ACC network is kind of going to crap anyway, but the ACC network plus, if you watch a game there, their announcers are awful. Um, well, last night they had decent announcers for the UVA men's game, but yeah, in general, they're just terrible announcers anyway. So whoever the, the analyst was basically was like, well, if I were, if I were them, I would keep running the ball. And I go, no, dumb, dumb. The way that they're throwing the ball down the field, they're going for the touchdown. This is a Tim Beck team. They're going for it. Next play after the timeout, threw it to the end zone, score a touchdown. I'm going, I don't believe I just watched this happen. So somehow, in my opinion, the defensive coordinator totally blew this. They're playing straight prevent. They back up and just left the middle of the field open for them to just operate. That was just a terrible way to lose a football game. So ODU gets the damn award this week. Um, Missouri gave Georgia a game. So um, I think I don't know if the college football world was waiting with bated breath on this one, but 
as I watched the score, I'm going, oh, this is a lot closer than people thought. But Georgia finally pulled away from them at the end. But again, what does that say? Well, it says Missouri is kind of, you know, again, getting back into it. Are they going to be as good as the Missouri teams that we've seen that have been really good in the past? I don't know. That remains to be seen. We are in a different era of college football. Um, can they benefit from the transfer portal? How are they doing in recruiting? And having a season like that obviously will will help. So, you know, hey, there are no moral victories in football, but hey, you, you, you gave all of Georgia football nation a little bit of heartburn in that one and got your fans really excited about what is to come for Missouri in football. Um, as I mentioned, Oklahoma State wins the final Bedlam game. So um, I'm sure Mike Gundy has had the opportunity to really relish and enjoy this because he was really pissed off, for lack of a better term, that the Bedlam game was ending now when they will have it again they had no earthly clue so you i know he was really just giddy that they won this game so um when's the next one we'll see because um i just realized um during one of the broadcasts i was watching one one of the games and they said this year is the last oregon oregon state game so the last northwest championship this is it for them so because of you know conference realignment so um, that's going to be fun to talk about because you've got a really good Oregon team. You got a good Oregon state team. So, you know, how's this one going to go down again? We'll talk about it in a couple weeks when rivalry week. So one of our favorite times of the year here on the podcast rivalry week, we'll kind of look at who's going to do what, because it all starts on Thanksgiving night with what the egg bowl. I don't know where they're playing it this year, but you know, I'm, I'm excited thinking about it because there's some great rivalries out there. And we'll talk about them even if you got one team that's crappy and the other team's really good or they're both crappy. We'll still give you a pick because that's what we do. Um, What the heck's going on with Miami? Again, another week we talk about Miami. Miami loses to NC State, which I kind of feel like they should have beat NC State. I feel like NC State's offense is very just predictable. If you watched enough football you watch Virginia play a few years ago you watch Syracuse play a couple seasons ago you kind of know what Robert and I is gonna do it's very well air raid is air raid I don't want to say it's pedestrian but you kind of should know what he what to expect from a Robert and I offense it's not gonna be very run heavy that's for sure Robert and I does not like the run so and Miami's defense is not terrible they're pretty decent defense and I don't know if they're not getting it done offensively which could be the issue but Miami not looking very Miami like and guess who they got this week they got Florida State this week so we'll definitely be talking about that game on Friday but I don't know if you can't be state put it this way they'll get up for this one for sure because it's it's their big rival but are they going to add another chapter to the great a long lineage of uh, of stories in this rivalry, maybe, but I, I'm not going to bet the farm on it, to be honest with you. Um, I mentioned Arizona is up, so Arizona, you know, onward and upward for them. So I'm really, um, you know, interested to see how they're going to kind of keep pushing. Colorado, Colorado is now four and five. So they lost to Oregon State, so I called that game. So here's who's left. They've got three games remaining, so they literally need to win two of these three games to be bowl eligible. So let's say they go two and one, they'll be six and six. 
So six and six, you win six games, you're bowl eligible. But here's the thing. They got Arizona next. Arizona's playing some good football. They got Washington State, though. So what I did is a couple weeks ago, I talked about this and I said, if they got a shot, I figured it'd be between Arizona and Washington State. I don't know. I might take Arizona at the table now. Arizona ain't going to be no slouch. Washington State might still be the opportunity. His team has been very up and down. I think Arizona kind of started, you know, kind of down and they've really been picking it up. Washington State's been very up and down all season, very roller coaster like. And then they finish with Utah. Mm, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they're going to beat Utah. They're probably going to be they're probably going to be heavy underdogs against Utah. They're probably favorites against Washington State, and they might be slight, slight favorites against Arizona. Slight favorites. So you know, can they get to? I mean, hell, if they lose the the next three, they're what four and eight. But here's the upside, and we've said this before. The first year at Jackson State for Coach Prime was not great. What happened after that? We can write a we can we can do a movie about it. It was fantastic. So to kind of go back to what Coach Prime said, hey, we're down now. Get us now, because we ain't gonna be down up the road. So there you go. So however this thing ends, it's gonna be interesting to see how it ends because now the other issues are. Who's coming in? Because I have a feeling that you're going to have a lot of guys leaving Colorado when this thing's over. You're going to have guys coming in. And here's the other piece. There's been some coaching changes at Colorado. Sean Lewis. So I believe he was the Kent State head coach. He left Kent State to take this offensive coordinator job. He got demoted. I think it's what Pat Shermer is calling plays. And look at and here's the difference. The offense that they generated against Oregon State wasn't even close to the kind of offense they were generating under Sean Lewis. So I'm thinking to myself, don't be surprised if Sean Lewis rolls out. I would not be surprised if Sean Lewis said, oh, I'm out of here and kept it moving at the end of the season. But they might lose an OC. Again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. They might lose an OC. Um, They're going to get some guys are going to leave. But they're going to get a big influx of guys. But as we know, the thing that they really need is an offensive line. They got to get that offensive line bolstered to kind of help Shadur Sanders do the things, the great things that he does. Uh, News and notes. Let's talk off the field stuff first. The Big Ten informs Michigan that it may face disciplinary action. So at worst, it's not going to be anything with the team. I think they said at worst Harbaugh's going to get suspended. So big whoop de doo Harbaugh gets suspended. Shocker. Hasn't this happened before? It's like we're having deja vu all over again. Um, so the guy who's at the center of all this, uh, you know, the sign stealing thing, Connor Stallions, he resigned his position last week. So I guess he was already suspended without pay. I guess he figured I might as well just roll out of here. He's probably going to be in trouble anyway. Because this investigation is ongoing. I don't think the NCAA has um, given its notice of infractions yet. So as we know, the NCAA is extremely slow in getting out these notices. And then once the notices get out, they got to investigate. And that can take 10 months. So by this time next year, if Harbaugh's still there, there something might come of this. Because I'm still in the camp that he's out of here. He's going to roll out. Whether it's end of the season or whether it's 
during the offseason. I think he's going to leave. That's just that's just me. I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it. If he stays, okay, he stays. But I I I, I would be very surprised if he said if he stays. Sources are saying that if any disciplinary action comes down, Michigan will use all means, legal and otherwise, to appeal it or to overturn uh, any discipline that's handed down. So Michigan's like doubling down on this, which is kind of crazy because, again, even if it comes back that it happened, the evidence might not still doesn't and it could not and it may not point to Harbaugh, which is fine. That's good, because if he says I had nothing to do with it, it this is one guy I didn't have uh, any. Uh, I'm not privileged at information. That's fine. But I, I think in thinking about it, if that's the case, if they stand behind Harbaugh, then sure, I think they can. I think it's good that they're going to appeal it. But at the same time, too. This happened on his watch. So somebody has to serve some sort of disciplinary. uh, They have to serve out some sort of punishment for this. So I get what they're doing. He was not directly involved in this, but the Big Ten is feeling like they need to punish somebody. And hey, you know how it works. If you're the head man, you got to take the fall for something some dumb underling did. So. We'll, we'll, we'll as we'll, we'll be keeping track of it, we'll keep track of it and we'll kind of talk about it a little bit more as it comes about on the field. USC. So after that loss uh, to Washington, USC fires uh, defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. So the defense gave up in two games, 101 points, and they're averaging giving up about 35 points a game. They are in the bottom 30 of nearly every statistical category. So their defense uh, rush defense is 120th. Their pass defense is 107th. They're currently the 87th ranked defense, and that's kind of SP plus, I think, some sort of adjustment. Last year, they were what? 87th. So they're pretty bad this year. They weren't very good last year. They're still at the same level, so there's been no improvement. And Lincoln Riley basically was like, look, we got a lot to play for. This had to happen, unfortunately. I mean, Grinch came with him from uh, Oklahoma to USC when he took the job. So I'm sure that had to be difficult from a working relationship standpoint. But obviously, from uh, I'm the head coach, it all comes, it all falls on me. He had to kind of let him go to kind of get this thing better. Um, defensive line coach Sean Nua and linebackers coach Brian Odom are now the co-defensive coordinators for the remainder of the season. So let's see if that changes anything. Um, but, you know, uh, after the game, Caleb Williams was visibly emotional, uh, you know, kind of went to his parents. You know, he was he was very distraught and upset. Um, not the season that he hoped for. But again, um, now the question is, what does he do? Um, you know, a lot of folks, you know, outside the folks saying he should quit, you know, get ready for the draft. You know, then the question is, who's going to draft him? I mean, I don't we all talk about this whole Oh, you know, people making jokes. Oh, you're going to be a giant now, which I'm going, he's making more money than you. So why do you care? Like, you know, I I know that there have been players in the past who have been very, I don't want to go to this team because they stink, but it's either that or stay in college. I don't know what to tell you. You know, you got to make a, you got to make a grown man decision here. Either go to the league, make that money because you stay in college. Then what's the fear? You go 
make some play if he, I think he might have more eligibility, but if he, I think he's another year or something, but anyway, he stays, gets hurt. Then that, then that puts him back even further. So you can't win, but it is what it is, but I feel for that young man. I mean, you know, he you know, won Heisman last year. I mean, chances are he probably won't win it again this year. Had a really good opportunity to, you know, repeat. But, you know, defense wasn't very good. You know, USC just, you know, they they, they were in some dog fights they shouldn't have been in. They lost some games they shouldn't have lost. So, you know, definitely not going to playoffs. They think they still kind of got a weird outside chance to get to the Pac-12 championship, but they got to win. They need help. So all the stuff that they need help with, the chances of that happening, mm, I mean, it could happen, but you probably have a better chance of hitting a hole in one uh, in golf. So we'll we'll see how it all pans out as we continue to look at college football and talk through the rest of these games as we move through the end of the season in the bowl season. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you listening. Thank you for tuning into the Tuesday edition of the Sports Wagon Podcast. So we're going to uh, keep it moving on out of here. I'm off today, so I'm actually being very productive, getting stuff done. And of course, my work email is blowing up for some odd reason because no one's at work today. We're all off. So, but until I talk to you again, probably Friday, where we'll get into college football, we'll recap uh, everything from sports from the week, anything that's going on. We'll talk some college basketball moving forward. Um, make sure you like, subscribe. Uh, to the show, email the show, uh, emails and show notes, tell a friend about the show, suggest the show, reblog it, retweet it wherever you see it on social media. Follow me on social media if you aren't. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Until I talk to you again, make sure you continue to mask up, protect yourself. COVID is still a thing. COVID is not over. It's still out there. Make sure that you stay healthy. And also remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sportswagonpod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.